Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. We've got uh, more time to talk about the things that matter most. Strictly from the standpoint of uh, Catholic history, the 20th century was a remarkable century. Uh, One of the great unexpected uh, moments of the 20th century was the revelation of divine mercy uh, received by St. Faustina Kowalska. And who can can predict? Uh, When Jesus says that the Spirit of God blows where he will, uh, he means that. Nobody would have predicted uh, that this revelation of the divine mercy would show up from Poland to, uh, you know, a nun who's not especially heralded. Uh, and yet, look uh, what happens. We end up with a, a Polish pope who helps to advance this understanding of divine mercy, writes an entire encyclical on the mercy of God. And we are also really quite blessed to have the Marian helpers uh, who have been, you might say, doing just an outstanding job of propagating the truth, the divine mercy. My guest is Father Chris Allar. He is uh, a priest with the Marian Fathers of the Immaculate Conception. Father Chris wrote, produced the popular Divine Mercy 101 DVD. He's author of the book, After Suicide, there's hope for them and for you. We've talked about that here on the program. He's a regular host and guest on EWTN, uh, also hosts the online Divine Mercy Matters series at divinemercymatters.org. He is currently serving as Father Joseph MIC, uh, the director of the Association of Marian Helpers. He's also head of Marian Press, located there on the grounds of the National Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. He's also, as I said, contributed the book Understanding Divine Mercy as part of the Explaining the Faith series. And Father, great to have you here again. Great to know so much of what you're doing these days. Well, great. Uh, Thank you, Alan. We get a lot of requests here for uh, doing talks and interviews, and when they mentioned that Al uh, Cresta, I said, oh my, definitely, I want to get a (laughs) chance to talk with him again. I enjoy your work and and your show. Well, thanks, Father. Now, tell me about calling you Father Joseph. What's that about? (laughs) (laughs) It is a confusing thing for people. Uh, That's the honorary title of whatever Marian uh, priest serves as the head of the Association of Marian Helpers, which is an incredible spiritual benefit society uh, who, by decree of the Holy See, um, our members, and there's no cost, there's no obligations and cost or anything, it's very easy to sign up. But to become a Marian Helper means that you pray for us and we pray for you. There's more power in prayer that way, but most of all for our Marian Helpers, it gives people a chance to receive the same grace from our Masses, our Rosaries, our prayers, our penances, just as if you were a Marian priest. Interesting. And I'm like, wow, that's wow. a good deal. You, you get the same <laughs> grace I do without right. having to go through ordination and, and seminary. <laughs> so good. Father Joseph is the honorary title gotcha. uh, for whoever serves as the director. And it's funny because uh, people get confused. I'm like, are you Father Chris or Father Joseph? The, the honorary title was given of the name Father Joseph of the of the superior that uh, brought Divine Mercy and opened up Stockbridge to to promoting Divine Mercy. So it's a real honor to serve in that role. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. 
Well, listen, uh, we had, the uh, again, uh, Divine Mercy Sunday, which itself is a pretty amazing thing. Uh, and I, I, I don't know if people realize what, um, what a profound decision that was on the part of uh, St. John Paul II to actually mm-hmm. name the Sunday following Easter as Divine Mercy Sunday. Talk to us about the significance of that. It, I, it took me by complete surprise. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, our Lord told St. Faustina, she was, as you just mentioned, uh, a Polish, very humble nun, third, three grades of education. Uh, you know, God doesn't use who we expect. Right. Uh, you know, you know, he didn't come here and, and use Herod or Caesar nope. to change the world. He used fishermen and a tax collector. And, um, you know, look at St. Paul. We wouldn't have a church without him, and people don't realize he was ball-headed, bow-legged, hook-nosed, and four-foot-eight. <laughs> so, you know, people are like, St. Paul was four-foot-eight, the statues of the, at the Vatican, he's ten feet tall, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't want him hosting a TV talk show, that's for sure. So, <laughs> so they said that, um, you know, the power of this uh, message of Christ is for the whole world, and what Jesus told St. Faustina is, I want a feast. And I want it to be on the eighth day. It has to be. It's not just any feast. There's a huge significance. And I want it in honor of my mercy, and I want it on the eighth day. What does that mean? It means the Sunday after Easter. Mm -hmm. Now, why we call it the eighth day is because in the Jewish tradition, when a feast was so big that it couldn't be celebrated over one day, they would celebrate it over eight days. Mm-hmm. Now, the fascinating part about this this particular feast is it completes the octave of Easter. So yeah. Jesus said, I want it on the Sunday after Easter. So Easter is day one in mm-hmm. the octave, mm-hmm. but Divine Mercy Sunday is day eight. Right. And we can get into this more, but St. Augustine... St. Gregory of Nanzianzen and even St. Thomas in the Apostolic Constitution said the importance of this eighth day. In fact, St. Augustine said it's the compendium of the days of mercy, and it's the highest of the days. It's the greatest of the days. St. Gregory Nanzianzen said it's the greatest of the days. Father Seraphim used to teach it's the greatest of the days, and I'm when I first got ordained, I'm like, okay, I I can't say that. You know? yeah, um, yeah. There's no way I can say that. Well, once Father Seraphim taught me, it made sense. Why do we say that? First of all, the days aren't separate. In an octave, all eight days are celebrated as one. As one. Very good. And, and that's the first thing we have to understand. They're not separate. This isn't like celebrating one feast, and then a completely unrelated, different feast. Mm -hmm, They mm -hmm. are connected as bookends to what we call an octave. Now, here's where it gets interesting. On Easter Sunday, nothing happens without Easter Sunday. That is our redemption. Christ opened the door to heaven. Without Easter Sunday, nothing else happens. Right. So, in its own sense, it's the greatest day. However, here's what's fascinating that the Church Fathers talked about and Father Seraphim used to teach. So Thomas Aquinas talks that there's two perfections in a, in, in a thing, and the first perfection is that you are what you are. Mm-hmm. So you and I are human beings. 
we have a perfection in that we have a rational will, or mine at least sometimes is rational. <laughs> so, um, but we have a rational uh, intellect, uh, we have free will, and we have a perfection in the sense that we're a human being. Mm-hmm. Now, everybody has that perfection, every human being alive, and on Easter, Jesus redeemed every human being, whoever lived wherever we'll live. They've all been redeemed. But here's why Divine Mercy is so important, Divine Mercy Sunday. Thomas Aquinas says there is a second perfection, and that is when something achieves the purpose for which it was created. So an acorn, if I smash it and crush it and destroy it before it becomes an oak tree, it never achieved the purpose for which it was created. So it has a perfection that it exists, but it doesn't reach that second perfection of why it was created to become an oak tree. Right. Now, he said, St. Gregory Nantienzen said, this is what makes the eighth day so important, because on that day, which means eternity to the Jews, we enter into eternity. Yeah. We, we enter the first day of heaven, excuse me, I'm sorry, the first day of the octave Easter, Jesus opened the door to heaven. The next seven days, because seven is the perfect number for time, is symbolic of our pilgrimage on earth called life. So you and I are walking through like the Jews in the desert looking for the promised land, and that is our pilgrimage. We're we're journeying through this valley of tears, Mm -hmm. right? So now, and sorry for the long answer, but it's so powerful. So now, after our seven-day symbolic period of life, or our pilgrimage is over, we enter into eternity. Now, on that day, that eternity, is where Jesus wants us to come into heaven with him. And when we do, we have then fulfilled the purpose for which we are or were created. Remember our Baltimore Catechism, why were you created? To know God, love him, and serve him, and be happy with him forever in heaven. So it isn't until that eighth day that we actually fulfill the purpose of which Easter did, which was open the door to heaven, but on the eighth day we actually walk through it. And that's why they said it's the greatest of days. But again, I say it's connected. They're together. You don't separate that's beautiful yeah that's beautiful yeah and it, it grows out of that fundamental distinction of the the first and second perfection the perfection of the, that something is um, yes and then Correct. the second perfection that thing becomes uh yes. what it was intended to be i love exactly. that exactly from is exactly yeah, so, being so and easter, becoming yeah and on easter we have been redeemed, everybody. Yep. Yep. Everybody's yep. been redeemed. But it isn't until we walk through the door of heaven that we are saved, because people don't realize even souls in hell have been redeemed. Yep. Yep. Every soul has ever lived has been redeemed, but it, they didn't walk through the door. They didn't complete what they were created for. Right. And so right. this is why Jesus wants us clean on that day, because that day he comes as the groom, we know from Scripture, he's the bridegroom, we're the bride, and on the eighth day, he comes for us. That's the end of our life. We enter into eternity. Eight represents eternity to the Jews. We walk into eternity, but 
he can't take us to heaven if we're not spotless. Revelation 21, 27, nothing imperfect will enter into heaven. Well, whoa, I'm in trouble. <laughs> so <laughs> right. so our, our Lord gives this promise on this day of Divine Mercy Sunday to say, you know, what we just celebrated yesterday, wow, we can enter into heaven, but we first got to be spotless. So the promise Jesus makes on this day, this one day, this eighth day, you, if you go to confession, receive Holy Communion, which is basically just a return to the sacraments, you can be made spotless so you're ready to go into heaven. Beautiful. Whoa, that's tremendous. Hold it there, Father Chris. We'll come back on the other side of the break, continue the conversation. My guest, Father Chris Alar, he is the author of Understanding Divine Mercy and a whole lot more, and we've got a whole lot more to talk about. I'm Al Cresta, and with me is Father Chris Allar. He's author, most recently, of Understanding Divine Mercy, Explaining the Faith Series. This is a whole series you're doing, Father? Yes. Um, we began a series of talks when COVID started uh, called Explaining the Faith, um, which we aired on Facebook and YouTube. And we just thought this would be kind of just a, you know, a temporary thing that we would give a short talk and, and you know, for a couple weeks, and um, that would be it. Oh my, we had no idea um, how that thing would 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 resonate with people. Wow. And now uh, the talks are up to full blown catechism seminary courses. Wow! <laughs> so wow. we invite uh, people to join us live every Saturday morning at eleven a.m. in Eastern Time. As I uh, I've done talks, I've done fifty over fifty talks now on everything from who the Holy Spirit is to spiritual warfare to the angels to the sacraments, the confession, communion, everything that, you know, our faith teaches. But yes, um, the key one for me is Divine Mercy. So as part of this Explaining the Faith series, I did some talks on Divine Mercy, explaining kind of what we just did, and I made it into the first book, and it's basically called Understanding Divine Mercy, that although we can't understand Jesus said to St. Faustina, we can't understand God in His essence. Mm-hmm. He said, you can come to know me through my attributes. Right. And what is the greatest attribute of God? His mercy. And so if we want to come to know God, He says, you can come to know me through my attributes, and my greatest attribute is mercy. So that's why I call it understanding divine mercy, meaning we can't understand God in His essence, but we can come to know Him through His attributes. And so... In this book, we explain everything, what mercy is, um, how you can get the graces. We explain the devotion, the feast, the image of the image of divine mercy, the novena, the chaplet, the hour of mercy, and then how to get the graces that Jesus promises us through divine mercy that are just incredible and life-changing. So we hope that, you know, your listeners will consider getting a copy. We're offering a special 
right now that's huge because we realize so many people can't afford uh, $14.95 for a book right now. Times are hard. So we're running a special right now if people want to get it for any donation, even nice. a dollar or you want to give a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, we're offering that special on our website that you can visit us at shopmercy.org. Okay. But the special you can go right to and get it is thedivinemercy.org slash UDM for Understanding Divine Mercy. Okay. Um, we'll have that listed at our site as well, so people can make the oh, linkage thank easy. You. Yeah, um, d- mercy is so important to understand because it takes us again into God's essence. Would there have been mercy? Would His mercy have been um, revealed if there had not been a fall? Great, great question. And the answer actually is yes. Because the first great act of mercy was creation. Very good. And so what is mercy? Mercy is when that perfect love of God that is shared between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which was there for all eternity, when that mercy, or excuse me, when that love flowed outside of itself, when that love of God, that perfect love of the Trinity, flowed outside of itself, we had mercy, and the very beginning of it was creation the first act of mercy. So we already see the fact that God created us was an act of mercy. Now, once we got broken, when Adam and Eve, you know, uh, fell in the garden, that then required the second great act of mercy, redemption. So we always say uh, the first great act of mercy we attribute to the first person of the Trinity, creation, God the Father. Then we say the second great act of mercy we attribute to the second person of the Trinity, redemption. So God sent his son, the second person of the Trinity, to come down and redeem us. Now, as I said, the story is completed or fulfilled by the third and final and greatest act of mercy, which is the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, through him, with him, and in him, talking about the sacrifice of the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we go back to God the Father, and we are united with Him forever, and that is called divinization or sanctification. We actually share in the divine nature of God. And when does that happen? On the eighth day. Yeah. So the eighth yeah. day completes that fulfillment of redemption, which Christ did, and then we go back to the Father. So when we enter into the door of heaven, we've completed and fulfilled what that purpose of what our existence is, is to be united back to the Father. It's incredible. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is beautiful. That's, I, that is a very um, coherent and rich understanding. God's act yes. of creation, and you can see redemption is an act of recreation, you know? Yeah. And then the, yes. the, the third act is a, a, an act of fulfill, fulfillment of the new yes. creation. That's just great. Yep. And uniting that new creation back to the Father, which is now repaired, which is now redeemed. And so when we do that, we've now completed the purpose for which we were created, which is what the eighth day was meant to be. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. in the reading on uh, Sunday, we talked about Jesus appearing in the upper room on the first day of the week, which is the night of his resurrection. But then it said a week later, when now Thomas was with them, Jesus came back to the room, 
And then he breathed on them, gave, gave them the power of the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, that whole essence of um, the, the creation has now become a new creation. God, Christ redeemed the old creation, but now he brings us into a new creation. Oh. That is incredible. <laughs> it's, it's, it's our whole faith. Yeah. Yes, it is. It is. I saw a news story of a, of a, well, well, a fairly well-known evangelical um, Protestant teacher uh, who has decided he's no longer uh, a believer. He no yeah. doesn't want to be understood as a Christian. And uh, we're just looking into it because of his reputation. And it looks as though at least one of the reasons he has departed from the faith is over the question of uh, the enormity of evil uh, and suffering. Uh. And so uh, the c- question that comes up all the time is, did God create evil? You know, I cover an entire last chapter of this book to why could a good and a loving God allow such suffering and evil? Mm-hmm. Now, here is a quick summary as best I can. You know, they always ask that question, did God create evil? Okay, actually, evil is not a real created thing. Right. And people are like, what? Father, open up the newspaper, turn on the <laughs> Internet, you'll right. see Evil is a real created thing. Well, let's hold on a minute. Thomas Aquinas says, what is evil? Evil is not a real created thing. What evil is, is a lack of something. Mm -hmm. Evil is a lack or a privation of the good. So when we pull God out of schools, out of courtrooms, out of our corporations, out of our businesses, out of our our families, who is God? He's goodness itself. So when you pull God out of the courts, out of the schools, out of your families, out of society, when you pull God out, you're removing goodness itself. What's left is a privation, a lack of the good, and that is what the definition of evil is. So we created evil. By pulling God out, when we remove God, we take goodness itself out of the equation, and what is left is a privation of the good, and that is evil. So, for instance, I tell the story often of a T-shirt I saw on a a girl, a young girl at the airport, and her T-shirt said, Columbine. Sandy Hook. Mm. You know, these were the school shootings, right? Yes, yes. And her T-shirt said, God, how can you let this happen in our schools? Exclamation point. And then below it, it said, God, quote, I'm not allowed in your schools. Mm. And that struck me. That's exactly what evil is. The absence. Is when we think, you know, we have all these... You know, they'll hire hundreds of counselors and psychologists and trying to, you know, figure out the meaning of why this happened. And they got to tie it to racial or they got to tie it to, you know, this or that. And it took, of all people, an NFL football player after the last shooting in Florida and said, when are we going to understand that until we put God back in the schools, this is going to continue to happen. I mean, I point to 1963. Mm-hmm. Uh, 1963, I've been the talk on this, but 
1963, something happened that after 1963, divorce rates skyrocketed, mm-hmm. which were relatively low before that. Mm-hmm. Unwedded pregnancies skyrocketed, which were relatively low before that. Violent crimes skyrocketed, which were relatively low before that. Do you know what happened in 1963? The Supreme Court took God and prayer out of schools. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's not a coincidence. Yeah, It's, it's, it, it's in a cause and effect. It is interesting that people usually say the 1960s actually begins in 1963. <laughs> yes. Because of the changes that you're referring to. Um, yep, the death of Kennedy yep. and the changes in right. the Supreme Court. Our country lost its innocence. Um, at that time, it was a very devastating year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, excellent point. And I think we should we should think. You know, this is the, we have to remember. This is actually the biblical way of thinking about things. This is how yes. the the Hebrews understand understood their history as a people. Yes. You know what I'm saying? They they saw the causal effect of idolatry, immorality, yes. injustice, and they also saw the causal effect of fidelity and uh, generosity. Um, and helping the stranger and all these things. So it's perfectly right for us to try to understand our immediate history in light of these, uh, this divine, you might say the divine narrative or divine storytelling. And and that's what we're not doing. Um, We can't read. My dad said when, my father said when he was a child in public school, this is public school. They would read from the Bible before and after the day. Yep, yep. Yeah, my mother-in-law uh, was a uh, public school teacher, and she told me that, too. I, I was shocked. She told me about this in the 1980s, and I'd never heard of such a thing. Hold it there, Father. We'll be right back. Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Father Chris Allar. He is uh, author of a book that we've recommended many times here. I know Teresa has as well. Uh and that is after suicide, there's hope for them and for you. Uh, today, we're talking about his newest work, Understanding Divine Mercy. It's part of the Explaining the Faith series. Uh, let, me, let me go to um, the a phenomenon that you've seen many times, I'm sure, because as a priest, you hear this a lot, I bet. No. I remember it in terms of a, a loved brother of mine who said that his sins were too great uh, yeah. to for God to accept him. Now this yes. this was I mean I I he, you know from my point of view his sins weren't as great as some people I knew <laughs> but <laughs> but my my point is he was locked into this terrible bind yeah. of um on the one hand he he wanted to uh let God be the center of his life but yes. he didn't feel for some reason there was some con- hook some trick in his mind which didn't permit him to think he was worthy to right. be in fellowship with God, or however you want to put this. What do you say well, to people? You know, none of us are worthy. Right. Um, it's right. kind of like me when I delayed my, um, my becoming a priest for years because I said there's absolutely no way I can be a priest. I'm not holy enough. Right. You know, I was living in the world. I had a girlfriend. Uh, I was just, you know, I was into money and, you know, and, um, and, and the girl I was dating. And 
I said, there's absolutely no way. They're, they're, I'm just not holy enough. And I struggled with that and wasn't going to answer the call. And it, the Lord kept knocking and knocking. And finally, talking with Father Dan, and I said, Father Dan, I just can't be a priest and not holy enough. He looked at me and he says, none of us are holy enough to hold the body and blood of Christ. Are you kidding me? <laughs> yeah. You know, and so the first thing we have to realize is that none of us are worthy, but with God's grace, we we are transformed. See, this is what's different for the Catholics and the Protestants. The Protestants think that we're a dunghill that's just covered with snow, but we still remain dung at the center. The Catholics believe, yeah, we're dung, but we're actually transformed through the sacraments. No matter how bad the dung is, mm-hmm. no matter how big your pile is, you are transformed. And the bigger the pile of dung, the greater transformation there is that can happen. Yeah. And so what we have to realize is no sin is outside the mercy of God. Um, no sin, abortion, stealing, murder, uh, lying, stealing, cheating, doesn't matter. It's all not as great as the mercy of God. In fact, every single sin is forgivable except one. Jesus said there's only one unforgivable sin, and it makes perfect sense. He called it the sin against the Holy Spirit. What, in essence, the Dominicans taught me is what's the sin against the Holy Spirit? It's final impenitence. Father, what does that mean? That means simply not asking for the mercy of God. So God can't forgive us if we don't say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm sorry. Um, you know, I, I, when you go into the confessional, you've already, by simply walking in, you've already made yourself impossible to be guilty of the unforgivable sin, because you are seeking God's mercy. You, the second you go into the confessional, you're asking for God's mercy. Exactly. So once you sit down, there is no sin in this world that is not forgivable, no matter what we've done. So if we think our sins are greater than the mercy of God, then we are vastly missing an incredible grace and opportunity that's offered to us. The very aspiration, (laughs) the very aspiration uh, to um, confess uh, is itself witness, that's evidence, that you haven't committed uh, the the final act of impenitence, and that, um, that God is already at work within you. You talked earlier about was classically called the difference between imputation of Christ's righteousness and infusion. Uh, Mm -hmm. And in the Catholic tradition, when we're born again, uh, God actually performs a work in our soul so that we are not merely declared righteous, but are righteous. And uh, the fact that this person is now aspiring to somehow be in fellowship with Christ or come back into the church or go to confess. That very aspiration is evidence that God is already mm-hmm. at work within him and finds him acceptable. You know, it's, it's funny, I mention that all the time, um, because I say the very fact, you know, we, we have a live stream uh, ministry now going. Uh, Brother Mark uh, set it up for us here that when COVID began, you know, we never knew what was going to happen. We didn't even right. know if our mercy ministry was going to survive. Right. And Brother Mark got it set up so that now we are live-streaming masses, rosaries, chaplets, talks, first Fridays, first Saturdays, prayer services, healing services, uh, explaining the faith. It's amazing. Please join us on our YouTube channel called Divine Mercy. That's the name of our YouTube channel. And there you can see all these live streams every 
every week I'm making these videos of topics of the faith. I do short ones, I do long ones. My short ones are five minutes to nine minutes. My long ones are 90 minutes because we're bringing so much. And I always say to the people, the very fact that you are here means God's grace is working in your heart. Beautiful. Even if you're here because your spouse drug you to sit down and watch it, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. What matters is God's grace is working in you, and you made the step to just cooperate with it. That's all you need to do. Let God do the rest. But you've got to cooperate with it first. And that's why, you know, Protestants and non-Catholics, um, you know, they always say to Catholics, you know, you Catholics are crazy. It's only God's grace, God's grace, and God's grace alone that saves you. What my answer is, yes, we are not saved without God's grace. God's grace is everything, but we got to cooperate with it. Right. If you don't right. cooperate, you know, all the souls in hell had the grace of redemption. The problem was they didn't cooperate with it. We have to cooperate with it, and by simply tuning in, going to Mass, joining us for these live streams, you're cooperating with that grace, which means the grace working in your heart from God has now moved you to say yes to it. That means you're on your way to salvation. Amen. Father, let me take you back to a, a, a very basic thing that we actually haven't talked about before, and that is, who was St. Faustina? Mm-hmm. What's the history it's, there? It's a beautiful story because, um, you know, God, you mentioned earlier about, um, about the, there had been no fall. You see, in, in the garden, um, after the fall of Adam and Eve, um, God gave us the first gift uh, in the sense of a promise of a Savior and the gift of a mother. And that was the beginning of divine mercy. But here's what's interesting. The way for us to cooperate with that grace, as I just said, the importance of cooperation, is what was Adam and Eve's problem. You know, the fact that Adam and Eve sinned, yeah, that got us in a mess. But the bigger problem was what Adam and Eve did afterwards. After they sinned, they didn't ask for God's mercy. They never said they were sorry. They didn't ask for God's mercy. Uh, Second, they didn't be merciful to each other. B, like A is ask for mercy. B is be merciful to each other. Adam and Eve weren't merciful to each other. They blamed each other, you know. And C is completely trust in God. Did they completely trust? No, they ran and they hid. So this essence of what we call the ABCs of mercy, A, ask for God's mercy, B, be merciful to each other, C, completely trust in God's mercy, that is the essence of the Bible. In other words, you want to get to heaven, you need to do all three of those things. That's what cooperation with God's grace means. Well, Father, it's not what we do, it's what Jesus did. It's His grace, yes, but we got to cooperate with it. And so that cooperation is asking for His mercy, being merciful to each other, that's works of love, and completely trusting God. That's the cooperation. Now, here's the problem. After the fall, God gave this message to mankind. We didn't listen. The Israelites, stiff-necked people, crucified our Lord. We don't listen. He got into Jansenism. We don't listen. So God finally got to this 20th century, and he basically, and I smile here because these weren't our Lord's words, but God basically said, that's it. I'm done with this project. <laughs> he said. <laughs> okay. And what do I mean? No, God's never done with us. Please don't write me letters. But he said, basically, that's it. You, St. Faustina, are going to prepare the world for my final coming. This little humble nun that John Paul II said was nobody from nowhere, 
<laughs> Jesus gave. I'm sorry. I'll go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, that's good. I was just chuckling at that. You're no, you're no yeah. one from nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, and that's exactly who she was. Nobody from nowhere. But here's the key. That message of divine mercy, the ABCs, God's been trying to give to mankind since the fall. We don't listen. He's raised up great saints, great prophets. And this is why St. Faustina is the saint of our times, because he finally got to her and he said, you, St. Faustina, are going to prepare the world for my final coming. So what did he do? He gave her five new channels of grace. And he said, through these channels of grace, which we call the devotion of divine mercy, I want you to help people to return to living the message of mercy, ABC. Now, what were these five channels of grace, and what do we call the devotion of divine mercy? It's easy to remember with an acronym FINCH, like a little bird, F-I-N-C-H. F is the feast of divine mercy. I is the image of divine mercy. N is the novena of divine mercy. C is the chaplet of Divine Mercy, and H is the hour of Divine Mercy, 3 o'clock. So God, Jesus gave these five channels of grace to her to say, listen, Faustina, through these channels of grace, you're going to reawaken the world to my message of mercy, which is nothing new. The devotion is new. I'm giving you the chaplet new. I'm giving you the feast new. I'm giving you the novena new. I'm giving you the image new. But you're going to use those to drive people back to living the message of mercy, and that's how we get to heaven, cooperation with God's grace. That's beautiful. I mean, that, and it really, it really um, gives the proper sense of proportion to uh, yes. this moment in our, our history uh, in which, again, I love to say, nobody from nowhere, you know, the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone, yes. and that's a pattern yep. that's repeated over and over. Uh, throughout uh, Catholic history, and actually Christian history generally, because you see it also, uh, even in, uh, you know, preaching and revivalists uh, within uh, Protestant traditions, too. Um, right. The, the, uh, we're, we're, what, seeing, seeing the ministry as being a sign of the coming of Christ, how do you plan for the future? We are strong believers that since the Lord gave us this message of devotion of divine mercy, that the answer is to have his mercy poured upon the whole world. However, in the Sacred Heart devotion and to St. Faustina, Jesus said, I'm clamoring to pour my mercy onto the world, but I can't. Now, whoa, wait a minute. Lord can't do something? He said, my heart is full of mercy but the world's not asking for it. The world's not, it's, my heart is wounded. Um, so he asked for the five, or excuse me, the nine First Fridays yeah. to be able to make a reparation to his sacred heart for the sins and ingratitude of mankind. It's those wounds that prevent the sacred heart, because remember, the sacred heart is the heart from which, on the Divine Mercy image, pours forth blood and water. Okay? Mm-hmm. The blood and the water pour forth out of that heart. That's the sacred heart. So as Jesus is saying, I'm clamoring to pour out more mercy upon the world, um, but I can't. we got to say, well, why can't you, Lord? He says, my heart's wounded. So we make reparation in the first Fridays, and we'll talk about later the first Saturdays, too. Okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time, Father. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have you back soon to, to go further Sounds into this. Good. Great stuff, though. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope to see you before too long. 
Okay, God bless you and, and everybody there. God bless. Father Chris Allar, Understanding Divine Mercy. We'll have all the information available for you at the website. 